What's up, young adults? Are you guys feeling good? Feeling good? I love it. Hey, welcome to the final installment of Pillow Talk. Kind of sad, but we're going to go out with a bang tonight. I promise you. It's going to be good. This whole series has been awesome. I wasn't here last week but because uh, I was in the Caribbean on a cruise. Sorry, I'm not sorry. Eating lobster tail and drinking Sprite all week, man. I really did have a Sprite. It's not a lie. But uh, I watched uh, Jess's message online. She freaking crushed it last week. It was so good. Go watch it if you weren't here last week. If, you haven't, if you've missed any of the weeks of this series, you can go to our YouTube channel. Technology's awesome. And catch up on all the messages. I've loved this. I love this church because we get real in this church about life and love and marriage and sex and Jesus and faith and, and God and just every... Like, if you can't get real in church, where, where are you going to get real? And we do that here. And tonight's going to be no exception. Tonight, we're going to get authentic and vulnerable, as you're going to find out. And so if you're here for the very first time, I'll just tell you up front, because you're going to find out regardless that we're just a bunch of messed up people who are just doing our best to pursue a perfect God. Amen. Just a bunch of messed up people in here. That's all we are, especially this section over here, man. I feel something. I'm kidding. Just kidding. Any note takers? Who's an avid note taker? Okay. Get out your color-coordinated diary. You're going to love tonight. There is wisdom coming your way, not necessarily from me, but there are two chairs up here. As you can see, this is a wisdom-packed kind of night, and I'll give you the uh, title of the message right up front. Here it is. Just do it different. How to do it right? You just do it different. Nike says just do it. We say just do it different. This is a backwards swoosh kind of church. It's a bad joke. Just pay no attention to that. It's a horrible joke. No time for bad jokes because we got a lot to talk about, and it's about to get real starting right now. I'm going to ask you a few rhetorical questions, and uh, this is just between you and God, just between you and God to give you an idea of where we're going tonight with this message slash interview. And here it is. Are you afraid of one day getting divorced because that's your parents' story, and you think that it's now in your blood? Are you afraid that things like adultery or abuse, affairs, alcoholism, you fill in the blank with whatever, is going to be your story, because that's the story of your lineage, and their mistakes are going to be your mistakes as well? And because of that past, or ladies, maybe because of the way that your earthly father failed to love you the way he should, do you sometimes feel unworthy of the love of a perfect God or the love and the goodness of a marriage one day? Like guys in this room, for the same reasons, do you ever feel like the strength that you have to offer a family, a wife and kids one day is just not enough, so why even try anyways, right? Like the, the statistics of our culture are gonna be your story too. If you've ever feared or felt any of that, you've been prayed for like crazy this week and this night is for you. You've been prayed for like crazy this week, and this night is for you because we're talking about generational curses and patterns and sins. They are very, very real, and they seem to kind of creep secretly into our identities and tell us who we are and tell us what our futures hold, right? They seem to, to secretly do that, but what you're going to understand tonight is that because of the power and blood of Jesus Christ, you're free from all of it. You are free 
from all of it, okay? Make no mistake, Galatians chapter three says that Jesus, the son of God, became a curse. He became a literal curse hanging on a tree so that, so that you would never have to live with any curse in your life. He took your curse to the grave. He died with your, cur- with your curse so you now live without any of it. You walk in freedom now because of Jesus Christ. That's what you're gonna learn tonight. That's what we're gonna realize is truth, not just for the person sitting next to us, but for us tonight. But do not take my word for it. Tonight is a special night because Justin Matat is in the house tonight. You guys are gonna get to know Justin. He and his wife, Andy, are two very, very special people that I could probably talk about for hours. there are marriage counselors for me and my beautiful wife, Samantha. Um, they have the marriage that we hope and dream that we will have one day. Justin officiated our wedding. You're going to figure out really quickly that he's pretty cool, but I'm just going to say right now, his wife is cooler than he is. A lot cooler, a lot better of a person, godlier, probably more loved by God, way better looking. Like, Andy, she could get away with being in a young adult's ministry because your wife looks like she's 29, but you look your age. And you are, oh, I'm kidding, come on. <laughs> I love, 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 love this couple. Love these guys. Justin is a, an author. He speaks at schools all over the state. And he's here tonight to speak truth in your life about the victory that you have over generational patterns because he's seen it in his life. Andy has seen it in her life. And uh, just a, real, a chance to get really, they've helped me and my wife realize it in, in our lives as well. So I'll get super vulnerable really quick before I invite Justin up here. Um, so, all right, all right, super vulnerable. So, I've been married for three and a half years and it has been amazing. I I can say with all the integrity in the world that I fall more in love with my wife every single day, man. She is awesome. You gotta marry a wife like my wife, I promise you. Marriage is awesome. The first two and a half years of marriage were very, very challenging for us um, because we both brought wounds into the marriage, specifically generational stuff. And so, and I'm just going to say this really quick. Um, I, my mother-in-law, she's the best mother-in-law a guy could ask for, and I love her with all my heart. She's awesome. My father-in-law, he's the man. I freaking love him, okay? And there are wounds between my wife and her mom. That is a testimony that is almost completed. That is not mine to share. But what is mine to share are the wounds that she brought into our marriage and the fears that we were gonna make the same mistakes that her parents made and divorce was gonna be our story as well. And so I get that. I get the, like she felt depression because of that. I felt anxiety because of that. So I get the power and the, the hold and the grip that generational patterns of your parents and their parents can have on your life. I understand that. And the reason I'm telling you this right now is because I've also been you sitting in a chair in church, listening to the guy up on stage talk about God and marriage and thinking, well, you're a pastor. Your marriage must be perfect. And then you walk out of here and you get married and then you realize your marriage is not perfect. And you're like, well, and then you compare it to the the so-called perfect marriage from the guy at church. And then you realize, oh man, like 
our marriage isn't perfect and we're fighting about stuff and we're both bringing wounds into the marriage and we've got stuff to work through and, and we're walking through valleys and is something wrong because for them it, it seems perfect, but for us it's not. And let me just set you free by preaching the shortest and most powerful sermon I could ever preach. It's two words, me too, us too, everybody too. I get it. I understand the power of generational sin, and I understand the fear that that can strike into your hearts, whether you're married right now or whether you're afraid to get married because you're afraid that you're going to repeat the same exact stuff. I get that fear. I've seen that, but more importantly, I've seen how that generational sin cowers when standing next to the majesty of our God, Jesus Christ, and his blood. You have freedom from generational sin. That's what you're gonna understand tonight. Justin has seen it in his life. Andy has seen it in her life. They have helped us through, through so many evenings sitting in their living room, counseling us through a lot of difficult years of marriage to realize it in our lives that generational sin might be real, but it does not run through your veins. Salvation runs through your veins. Salvation is in your blood. And because of Jesus, you have freedom from that sin. You just have to decide to have it. And some of you are gonna decide that tonight and you're gonna be set free from something that you've been afraid of for a long time. I've thanked God in advance for the things he's gonna do in this building tonight. Some of you have testimonies that are not quite powerful enough because they're not quite finished. They will be as soon as you take generational patterns out of your present and put them into your past, never to affect your future again. That's a testimony that, that is to be reckoned with. That's a testimony that is possible if you receive it. And you're gonna walk out of here believing that a little bit more, hopefully a lot of bit more tonight. And so without further ado, you guys, would you give the warmest young adults welcome to one of the most important people in my entire life? Come on, man. Mr. Justin Matat. Okay. Okay. I realized, I'm like, why, is, why am I not interviewing your wife? I just realized that. She is so much better. I'm not disagreeing. Not disagreeing. Hey, you're amazing. <laughs> we married up. That's how we bond. You That's the thing that we have in common. That's so true. Really quick. Re are you, were you going to say something? No. Okay. Okay. I didn't think so. Really quick. The way that you talk about your wife yeah, when she's in the room, but more importantly, when she's not, makes anybody who hears it want to marry somebody like Andy. That's what I learned from you. You say there's so much power in the way that you talk about your spouse when they are not in the room, even if it's a bad season. You told me that, and I was wondering if you would, you would tell them that. She's mine. She what? She's mine. Yeah. <laughs> we are celebrating the 36th anniversary today of our first date. Yeah. 36 years. So I go on mission trips. I am her mission trip. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is a martyr. She has given her life for your sanctification to help you know Jesus. And that is a battle. Andy, we are praying for you. We love you so much. This, you're going to realize this more and more as the night goes on, how special of a woman this is to be married to well, you, man. Truth. So There's truth in that, bro. Hey, just by the way, before we get into this, uh, we loved your work in those Iron Man movies, man. Loved it. 
A lot of Tony Stark fans in this room, so just keep up the good work. Keep up the good work, man. Thank you. Like, am I just taking crazy pills, or is this Robert Downing Jr.? Okay. What you don't know is Thor is in the room. <laughs> he actually is. So That's be careful. True. That's true. He has and a hammer. The spirit. At the hammer. And the spirit. And the spirit. Okay. All right, bro. All right, man. I'm going to have you tell us a little bit of your story. One thing you always tell me is that you are dangerous to the devil. That's not arrogant. That's confidence. That's confidence. You're dangerous to the devil. And I was wondering if through your story, you would explain why. Okay. Well, for years, I was broken. Um, the, the thing that I want to I talk about tonight is that we all have a story. Everyone in this room has a story. We all come from brokenness of some sort. Even the best family has brokenness. And um, my life began very strangely. And I didn't realize, realize for a long time um, what my destiny was, which a lot of people, it takes a long time to get there. But um, I didn't know this growing up. I was um, adopted by two English professors that taught at CSU. And um, we always just assumed that my biological mother was a student who got pregnant and gave me away. And my parents raised me in a typical American dysfunctional household. Um, they loved me very much. They did the best they could with what they had. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic, um, which I didn't realize how much affects a young person um, into their adulthood until they finally released that generational curse. Um, because it wasn't blood, but it was who I was raised by. And so I had a typical dysfunctional um, upbringing. Most of it was pretty good. Um, I fell in love with my wife um, before I knew her. I, we were in a youth group, and I sat across a table from her and realized there's something about this woman that's different than anyone I've ever known. And I told my best friend, I'm going to marry Andy Harris. And he said, yeah, every guy in the youth group wants to marry Andy Harris. <laughs> and I said, don't talk about my future wife like that. <laughs> and um, lo and behold, our freshman year, we ended up on a dance floor. I taught her country swing, which I really didn't know much. Um, thank you. Thank you. And uh, she still doesn't like country music because of that night. Um, and then we took a walk around campus and got to know each other and very quickly fell in love. Um, it took a long time to get there because we had four years of college to go through before her father would allow me to marry her. But, um, so when we got serious and decided we were going to get married, I decided to find something out about who I was. Because when you're adopted, you don't know, Gina, you know, you don't know if I'm carrying something that will go into my children and things. So... I went and I found out a little bit about myself, and what I found out was that my story was very different than I had, had assumed. Um, my biological mother had three children when I was born, nine, seven, and five. So I had three siblings out there, and that was, that was a real curiosity for me. Um, and I have an insatiable curiosity as an author. I'm always cultivating information, and so when it's you, you know, it's even more so. So um, I decided to find out more um, after I was raising my children, and I, I just wanted to know, where do I come from? So I found my biological mother. And strangely enough, and this is pretty typical, um, I'm a native Coloradan. She was within a half-hour drive um, of our house. And her three children were within a half-an-hour drive of our house. My biological father was in Colorado with his children. Um, my biological mother and father had an affair. They were both married at the time and had children, and um, they had an affair, and I was the product of their affair. And when you find that out, that whole bumper sticker, God don't make mistakes, he uses really interesting ways of getting us here. Um, and um, my wife and I went up to meet my biological mother, and the first thing out of her mouth was, I tried to kill you. That's sobering. 
because my whole life I had imagined there was this fairy godmother type of mother out there somewhere and um, she had given birth to me and, and loved me and you know, cared about me. And the fact of the matter was I was a blip on her radar screen and she didn't try to abort me once, she tried to abort me twice. And when you find that out about yourself, there's something very strange that happens to you psychologically. And um, that happened to me psychologically, it kind of wasted me for a little while. And um, I was angry about it, I was confused about it, and I didn't understand why that was my story. So, I guess I go back now in time, being raised by my parents, you know, like I said, it was a typical loving, dysfunctional household. Um, and I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but every house is a little dysfunctional. Um, when somebody says you're weird, it's like, what brand? I mean, we're all weird. <laughs> and um, so, um, what I found out, later in my adult life was that adopted men um, very often are searching for that missing love. Even though I had a loving mother, adopted men are often, when they're teens, trying to find that unconditional love. I want to be accepted, I want to be loved. And, and I had a girlfriend in high school who destroyed me. And I at the time thought I was completely in love and she destroyed me in every way that you can. And it started me on a path of destruction, and I started becoming very self-destructive. Um, started drinking very heavily. I lived with some guys that just partied every night, and um, I, I was just really on the highway to hell. And um, I had been raised Catholic, and I knew, you know, there was ramifications for my actions, but my actions were starting to become very clear to me that um, it just wasn't worth it anymore. And um, I was working at a clothing store, ironically enough now when I think about it, next to a Bible store, and these two girls that worked in the Bible store would bring me cookies and tell me that Jesus loved me. And I'd say, really cool, thanks, I like the cookies, but I don't need your sermon. And there was a girl from my high school named Donna who was kind of like that puppy dog who's always really super excited to see you. And every time she saw me, it was like, Justin, Justin, Justin. And I was like, weird Christian, weird Christian. and. Um, Oh my gosh, I thought she was just a freak. And she'd come in and see me and say, oh, Justin, Jesus loves you. And I'd say, go away, you're embarrassing me. And um, she kept coming in. And the funny thing now is that I was at this point of despair where I just was so sad about life and I was so just, just grasping at straws. What do I do with my life? Nothing. And Donna kept coming in, Justin, Jesus wants you to come to church. I was like, done with that. Don't want to go to your church. Okay, I'll come Sunday, just go away. And I lied to her week after week after week, I'll come, just go away. And then this one weekend came and I had made a decision. And my decision was that I was going to end my life. I was 19 years old and thought I had no further reason to live and so I went out with my friends. We lived in an apartment that was next to a drive-in movie theater and we would sneak in there and stand around the, the speakers and watch the movies with um, a bottle of gin or a bottle of vodka or whatever we could scrape up. And that night I went out there with the full intent to get as drunk as I could so it didn't hurt. And I kept drinking and drinking and the more I drank, the more sober I got. And it was the weirdest thing. I got this crystal sobriety that was driving me crazy because I was like, I have consumed a lot of alcohol and I'm super aware <laughs> this is gonna hurt. It's like I have intensified the pain because my method was gonna be a razor blade. And I, um, I remember telling my friends, I'm going home. I don't feel well. And my friends were like, it's so cool. 
you know, we'll see you back at home. And I went home and filled the bathtub and got into the bathtub fully clothed because I didn't want anybody finding me naked. And I had these really weird rules about how I was going to do this. And I pulled a razor blade out and I lay in that bathtub and I began to sob. And I started to ask God, why? Why was I even born? Why did you even create me? See, I knew God was there, but he felt so absent to me. And I said, I just don't understand why you made such a mistake. And I just screamed, God, I don't even want to know you if you're this cruel. And I heard the audible voice of God saying, I love you. I love you. Hold on, and I will show you that. And me, some pompous 19-year-old said, all right, well, you've got 24 hours. <laughs> and God's sense of humor was, I think I can make that work. <laughs> Didn't say that, but I guess that's what he thought. So I got out of the bathtub, and I made a bargain with God. I'll give you 24 hours. I'm coming right back to this spot, because I can't do this life anymore. In the middle of the night, my eyes rolled open. And I just felt, you promised Donna you would go to church. Get out of your bed in the morning and go to church. So the next morning, I got my best clothes on and I drove to the church and, <laughs> he's here, he's here. She's screaming to all her friends, oh my gosh, she actually came. <laughs> and what I realized was Donna went out on that curb every Sunday because I told her I was coming. Her faithfulness to wait for me and then to go in every time disappointed. But she probably knew, God's gonna bring him. So there she was, oh my gosh, he's here. She takes me into church and I sat like this the whole time listening to the pastor. At the end I said, okay, I came to church, see ya. Great, God's quite the spokesman. Got nothing out of it. Cause I went in expecting nothing. And then she said, well, you've gotta to come to Sunday school. And I said, I'm not a third grader. And she said, it's not like that. All the cute girls are in Sunday school. I said, where is it? <laughs> Donna knew. She put the right bait on the hook. And I found you. That girl happened to be in that youth group. So um, I went in, and this guy gets up, and he looks like my dad. But he looks like my dad if my dad had joy. He looks at like my dad if my dad was funny. And he got up and he started, hey guys, we have a terrific, it's like Doug, hey guys, we got a terrific day for you. <laughs> I love Doug. And he was just so animated and we're so excited because we have so much fun to do today. And I was like, oh great, what are we gonna do? Play hopscotch? And, and uh, he says, all right guys, let's get, hang on. I'd like everybody just to close your eyes and start to pray with me because the Holy Spirit is in this room and the Holy Spirit is speaking. There is a young man in this room who is ready to give away the greatest gift. And I'm like, I wonder who it is. <laughs> this young man has bargained with, this, with the God in heaven. There's two of us? <laughs> this young man is so deep in despair, and he mentioned two things about my life that no one knew, my secrets, my hiding place. And he said, 
God is here. He promised you, and he is here. And this is your moment. You need to receive Jesus Christ right now because this is your moment. And when you do, God will lift your burdens. And I looked up, and the biggest smile came across his face. And I just said, Jesus, come. I have never felt anything so physical in my life that's supernatural. I felt like a thousand pound backpack fell off my back that moment and I felt like I had risen a new creature. I was born again. And I went home and told my roommates and they moved out within a week. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and all of a sudden some of my brothers from the church came and moved in with me and helped disciple me and teach me the Bible. And I started to realize there is so much to this life, so much fruit. I can actually live now with joy. So cut to the chase. Why am I dangerous to the devil? Because my sons are in ministry. I have a son who's a worship pastor. I have another son who's traveled all over the world ministering for Jesus Christ. I have a wife who's so godly, she has people coming to her all the time. I made the right decision with my wife. And I, I don't say that tongue in cheek. My wife told me, I will always put God before you, but I will always put you on top. That is who you should marry. Because when my wife, when the going got tough, my wife was a rock in Jesus. And she has been my rock in so many ways. So kids out there, if you haven't married yet, make sure you marry a godly person because it will change your whole life. And I can say that 36 years after my first date. So that's my story. Yeah. One PS. My biological mother is born again. Her kids are born again. Yeah. And it happened before she met me. She prayed for me. It's amazing God we serve. That's awesome. Wow. So, so to just do it different, you made a decision at some point that all of the generational patterns in your lineage and... I mean, there's more to your story than we have. Like, your story could be a movie, and it's more than we have time to share. Iron Man, two, yeah, three, five. Two. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, divorce, anger, abuse, alcoholism. Right. And, and you made a decision that that was going to stop with you, and the new was going to start with you, and that your kids, your two sons, were going to have a different testimony than the testimony that you had. Absolutely. And that's awesome. But that's a decision. That's a decision, right? Absolutely. Well, what, what I did was, I, I really don't agree with our, our, our culture's victim mentality. Um, we all want to be victims. We don't all want to be victims. Many of us want to be victims. I want to hold on to all that pain because what do I have if I don't have my pain? Freedom? I mean, hello. <laughs> but I mean, so many people live in that. My dad wasn't enough. No, he wasn't. But he gave me everything he had. My dad was an alcoholic. Yes, he was, but you don't have to be. But my dad never played football with me. Yeah, you're not good at it. <laughs> um, had to. Had to. By the way, just do it differently. It's an adverb. I'm an author. It really bugs me. Okay. Just do it <laughs> different sounds better for a sermon title. <laughs> That's what he said. Differently is appropriate language. 
You're such a nerd. I just didn't want, I just okay. didn't want him to think I was illiterate. Okay. So, actually, that's for you, honey. My wife watches TV. That's an adverb. Um, yeah, we're nerds. We're nerds. Just um, do it different, man. So just, the I'll decision, do it differently. The decision to do it different. Yes. So yeah. what happened was very much like Doug and Sam, who, you know, quite frankly, I am very impressed with them, and I love them dearly like my own children. But I'm very impressed with them because they were willing to seek mentors and listen and act on it. And there were times where Samantha Weckenman really despised me. She would leave my house angry with me because I would challenge her, get in there and do the hard thing. And now she's free. Not because of me, but because of who I knew she could be, the identity of Christ. So what we did, absolutely applause. So what my wife and I did was we wanted to raise our children to be wonderful human beings that the society would actually enjoy being around. Um, and so I had, this, I had this teacher in middle school, and he was just an amazing human being. But what was really amazing to me about him was he was a great teacher, he was a great counselor, he was a great person, he was a great Christian. But what he did was he raised these two young men, and they were admired by everyone in Fort Collins. These young men were so amazing. They had to have amazing parents. So I called my old junior high teacher, and I said, will you come to dinner at my house from Fort Collins down to Parker, Colorado? We'd like to have you for dinner. Not you for dinner. We'd like to have dinner with you. And uh, <laughs> we are cannibals. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we'd like... <laughs> I'm used to working with fourth no, graders. No, it's a great joke. It's a great joke. <laughs> Thank you. Why did the chicken cross the road? <laughs> Never mind. Um, I've really got a great joke, but he acts like it's his. Um, so um, we invited Mr. Colburn down and um, um, sat and talked to him. And, and uh, I took notes because this is how you do it right. And I didn't just take notes, I pulled that in. I'm gonna do what he did, because I wanna have boys that when they're men, people will say, they are awesome. So I decided to make a change. I didn't sit around and say, my dad was an alcoholic. That did hurt, but I'm gonna be responsible with alcohol. I am not gonna ever let my children see that, because it's painful. You make a change, you break a curse, because I have the grace of Jesus to do so. Mm -hmm. Because God wants us to be free. So you make conscious decisions. That's good. And really one more thing I wanna say on the decision to do it different that you and Andy made, because we spent, Sam, we spent so many evenings with, with Justin, with you and Andy in your living room, and um, crying and laughing and eating incredible meals and, and just experiencing the spirit together and experiencing healing that came out of a lot of uh, Courage, I wanna give my wife a shout out. Very much courage on her behalf because she sits here right now completely redeemed and she is dangerous to the devil as well. Dangerous, dangerous girl, dangerous. Well. But if uh, I'll just say this as a, a quick caveat, find a couple that you want, you want their marriage one day and then bug the crap out of them and ask them every question that you can and don't leave them alone. That's what we do with you guys. And, uh, and I just appreciate it so much. We want one day what you have right now. You made a decision to do it different. Even your home is evidence of that because you were telling me you grew up in a, in a chaotic home when people were yelling all the time and there just was not peace. And you made a decision. You said, I don't want my home that I'm gonna be the head of to be like that. 
I wanna cultivate a peaceful home, a sanctuary, which takes work so that I can come home to that. And even people who come over to visit, like me and my wife, we feel it as soon as we walk through the door and that takes work. But it you takes can decide. Jesus. It takes what? Jesus. It takes Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Okay. I mean, it Pull does. the Jesus card. I'm pulling the Jesus yeah, card. Yeah, you are. Because if yeah. it weren't for him, I wouldn't have any grace. True, you can't go wrong. But you decided to do it different there. And I just think, I don't know if that hits anybody. Um, maybe you grew up in a chaotic home where voices were raised all the time and people yelled. And sometimes that's just how you communicate. But you told me you never wanted to talk to your wife in a way that made her flinch, even on days when you were mad because your home is a sanctuary and that takes cultivating it. Absolutely. And now I experience the benefits of it and that's what we're trying to create in our home, to do it different, just the way you did. Bottom yeah. line is to make a decision. Mm -hmm. What do I wanna live in? I don't wanna live in chaos. I don't wanna live in the things I didn't like. I never understand people who are abused that abuse. It's the last thing you should do, right? But human nature takes over. That's why we need God nature. It takes over. God nature. And so, and so the next one, and all of these start with D's, you know, deliverance, the deliverance to do it different, right? Because so here's, here's what I've been feeling in prayer all week, guys, is that because um, I've been there, my wife has been there, Justin has been there, there's, and, and maybe you're there right now where you feel like divorce or you fill in the blank, alcoholism, anger, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, runs in your veins, that it's in your blood because that's what you saw with your parents and that's what your parents saw with their parents. And man, what I felt like God wanted me to tell you all week and what he wanted you to hear through this testimony is that curses because of Galatians 3, and because of Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become righteous. Curses, divorce is not in your blood. It's not in your blood. It's not internal. It's an external oppression that kind of follows you around. But that's good news because when it's internal, you can't do anything about it. If it's in your blood, you can't do anything to change that. But if it's an external oppression, then as soon as you realize that, then by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, you have all the power to tell it to get the heck out of your life, to tell it that that's not who you're going to be, that the devil cannot have your destiny and your future marriage. It is not in your veins. It is external, but it shivers and shudders at the sound of Jesus Christ. And you have power over that to tell it to get away that it's not gonna have your marriage one day, the deliverance to do it different. And you speak all the time on the power of the grace of God. Way better than I do. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, um, you, you know, you hit the same theme over and over that, you know, everyone in here is a young adult. You're no longer children. And so you now, have, now you have to make decisions as a, an adult. And part of the decision making is what you're going to embrace and what you're going to release. And things like divorce, you know, I was talking to my wife on the way over here, and your generation is maybe the first or second wave that was in many ways um, very damaged by divorce. You know, when I was growing up, that lady up on the hill, she's divorced. It was an anomaly, but now it's a commonality. I mean, in Christians, 50% divorced? That's sad, because marriage can be so wonderful. 
You know, I'm, you know I, I'm, I'm sitting here to tell you that, as Doug said, I'm more in love with my wife today than I've ever been. It's possible if you decide that that's what you want. Now, my parents had a chaotic relationship. My parents had affairs. There were all kinds of things in their background that I don't bring into my household. But what I did, and I think this is one of the key things for a young adult, because I did it when I was a young adult, is I embraced the things about my parents that were lovable, and I forgave the things that weren't. Because once I could say, they're just human, they tried. And even when they didn't try, I'm still okay, because I'm going to have my own identity. My dad was an atheist, he didn't have Jesus. I do, I have no excuses. So for those of you in this room who feel like you have a saddle, like there's something on your back, and it's because of generational sin, it's because of the way you were raised, because of your family's way of doing things, change. Just change. Sounds easy, it's not. It's hard work. It's 36 years of working on a marriage, day in and day out, deciding to love when it's hard. With her, it's not that hard. For her, it's like big decision. Um, but you can make those decisions. And some of you are very, very wounded in this room. Some of you are saying, yeah, okay, your story's tough. Listen to mine. And I'm not saying I take anything away from that at all. But what I know is this. The devil tried to kill me three times. I don't think he can predict the future. I don't think he could see my future. But I was marked by God. Because what's happening now generationally is I've got kids in ministry and I've got two grandsons and one of them, I can see how much he loves Jesus already and he's two years old. You can be the beginning of a new generation. So how, I'll just ask you this question, how, um, I think a lot of times you, you know, as human nature, we just project the imperfections of our earthly fathers, our earthly moms onto a perfect God and assume that he's the same mm -hmm. as our parents who are human beings mm -hmm. and flawed just like we are. Mm -hmm. And so how, like, if you could give any advi advice on how to, to kind of lay down expectations that you put on your parents and receive the perfection of a perfect heavenly father, what would you say? Hmm. That's, that's pretty big. Um, well, I can give it an example. Um, first of all, I wanna speak very specifically to the women in this room. If your father didn't let you know how beautiful you are, how chosen you are, he probably couldn't for some reason, but your heavenly father will always remind you of that. We have a God who loves us unconditionally. We can mess up and mess up and mess up, and God will never change his love for us. That was the grace of his son. And you know that intellectually, but have you owned that emotionally and spiritually? Because when you receive how incredibly beautiful you are to your father, the earthly father can dissipate in, his, in the balance of who you are. Now, there's a lot of years you have to record and unrecord but an example in my life was my dad was very quick to anger and I grew up afraid to make a mistake. Um, an example, when I was a little boy, 
I was probably six, seven, eight years old, and I was watching cartoons on Saturday morning. And my dad would walk through the back door, and he'd say, well, I guess I'm the only one that's going to do any work in the yard today. That passive aggressiveness. And what did I do? I jumped up and followed my father out to the garden. I jumped up and tried to help my dad. My dad scared me because he would just snap. And so I grew up thinking God was going to snap at any minute, that God was angry with me, that God was always waiting for me to fail. You know, and I'm not saying my dad was a bad man, but there were things about him that were very flawed that were making my identity become scared of him. Because the way God does family, if you think about the way God did families, he did that very specifically. The bride of Christ, there's marriage. There's so many metaphors in the way God's economy works. And one of the things is, the way we see our earthly father is very often the way we see our heavenly father. And if our father is angry, he's got to be. And if our father is not passionate about us, he's probably not too passionate about us. It's so contrary to the truth. And when I finally realized that my God in heaven is nothing like my earthly father, he loves me unconditionally, he gave me his son. That's when I started to receive the wholeness of my spiritual life because I realized I am loved fully by him and he's not mad at me. But I grew up for many years thinking that God was mad at me. So if you have a burden like that or a yoke like that, take it off. That's not God's identity. Just read his word. Read David's Psalms. Read what he says about a loving father. How many times did David mess up and he was still one of God's chosen people? If he loved him like that, he loves us like that. So let the yoke come off. God is a completely different father than our earthly fathers. And if you had a wonderful father, God bless you. He probably showed you the love that the father in heaven wanted to. Thank you. That's awesome. And uh, band, you guys can come back to the stage now. So I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, so sorry. Mm. But you spoke to the females in this room. What would you say to any, any man in this room right now who, who feels like everything that's on the horizon right now is one massive mountain? When I consider my past, when I consider where I come from, when I consider everything that's behind me, mistakes of my parents, generational, whatever struggle with A, B, C, and D, you know? And I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to venture up and over this mountain and lead a, a wife and lead kids, lead a family one day in a godly way, and that seems like the most overwhelming. Like, what kind of strength do I possibly have within me to offer them? What would you say to that young man in this room? There's one specific way to break a generational curse and that is repentance. Asking forgiveness is essential, but repenting and going the other way is what God wants. Because when you repent, it means I'm not going to continue to do these things again. I'm going to do it God's way. And when you repent and break that curse, you no longer have the stronghold of the yoke that holds you. Many, many nights I would, I would wrestle with, am I enough to be a good husband? Am I enough to be a good father? You know, you make mistakes, and then you say, I'm sorry, and you keep moving. But people that hold themselves accountable for something that they did in their past, it's so antithetical to who our father is, because in the scripture it says, when you ask for forgiveness and you repent, 
God takes your sin and throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. From east is to west, he remembers it no more. So why do we keep reminding him? Why do we keep digging up old bones? You're forgiven. Jesus stretched out his arms and died for that sin. You can't work your way out of sin. You can't work your way out of it. You have to repent and say, I'm going to do it God's way. And God will give you the strength. God has made me, I hope you would agree, a great husband. But I didn't start great. Andy's parents were both looking at me like, him? He's got a mullet. <laughs> and that was just the apparent stuff. So if you are able to, in your life tonight, every single one of you, say there's one box in my heart, in my mind, that I've never checked off. There's one thing I've never given myself a break on. If tonight you say this one thing, I give you, take it, because your burdens, you can handle this. God can handle your ugliest stuff, but don't turn and start it again. Let God take it and be released forever because there will come a day where you will realize being dangerous to the devil is the best thing you can be. My sons are my friends because I was the kind of father that would not sit on a stage, my boys would not sit on a stage and say, my dad never let me know if he liked me. Dads are good at saying I love you not as good at showing that they like you. And we all want to be liked by our Father. Tonight, check one box off, your box, whatever you've been hiding. Because I played a really good game with my friends, but I was dying inside. Check off your box and let God release you. Because when he does, you will truly experience a freedom like you've never felt before. And I stand a redeemed creature, so I know what I'm talking about. And I've got enough gray hair that you should be listening. It's true, you do. Yes, I do. Yeah. I love that because that, I know for me, that sets you free from the burden of perfection. Like, I need to do this, and I'm kind of on my own leading a family um, into the unknown, forward into the unknown. And I need to, like, never mess up and I need to be perfect, but God's never been after our perfection. He's simply been after, especially for us men, our willingness to, to try and to lead and to, and to keep showing up and to keep coming home and to keep waking up and saying, I'm gonna lead my family in the godliest way that I can, not perfectly today because I'm far from it and I know that, but I'm sure gonna try. I'm sure gonna try. And when I'm not, he is. And when you can't, he can. And so that's, that's, a, that's a horrifying goal that Jesus charges men with, to love our wives the way that he loves his church and to lead families, but he gives you the grace that you need every step of the way, and perfection has never been what he's after. Your willingness to say, I'll keep showing up and I'll keep trying is what he's after. And I, I, like, I like need that daily with a perfectionist kind of heart that feels like a failure um, on days when it's anything less than an A for my grade, you know? And so I wanna, I wanna finish by asking you, um, it's been 36 years to the day, to the night that you had your first date with Andy. And um, did you know that night that you were gonna marry her? 
You said you did? I knew six months before that. You knew six months before she that. She didn't. Okay. First night I really talked to her. <laughs> I'm guessing, maybe you're just way more confident than the rest of us. I'm guessing <laughs> that there were fears that came with that. Oh, yeah. shoot as high as you can. <laughs> and not even for, for <laughs> I wonder if she's going to even like me back or anything like that, but what kind of husband am I going to be? What are you saying, Doug? (laughs) (laughs) What kind of father am I going to be? What kind of family can I lead one day? And um, I was just wondering if you could go back right now and you could tell that was 36 years ago. So you were? Uh, Five. Five. (laughs) I was in college, Doogie Howser kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) If you could tell that Justin on that night, like, and you could give him confidence you know, because I'm thinking, I, like, I even had a conversation with one of my good friends in this room yesterday afternoon who's getting married next year around this time, who feels all the same fear of, am I going to repeat, you know, what I've seen played out in my life? And are we going to fail in this way or that way? And what about this? And what about that? And, and, the, and, and that's because the only vision that a lot of people ever see is a vision of failure. And I just, this whole series has been about speaking a new vision of victory over this generation when it comes to marriages. And what like I so badly wanna say to my friend is like, man, I can't wait for you to see you and your husband 10 years from now and the relationship and the friendship that you're gonna have 20 years from now, the home that you're gonna build together. I can't wait for you to see how awesome it is. 30 years from now, can't wait for you to see the powerful thing Things that your kids are doing for the kingdom. And 60 years from now, can't wait to see you and your husband telling stories, drinking coffee on your front porch of all the ways that God's used you in your life because it's good. It's gonna be good and it's not gonna be perfect and it's gonna be hard and there's mountains and there's valleys, but be confident because God has plans for your future. And if you could cast a vision to younger Justin and give him confidence, what would you say to him? I'd say there's going to come a day when you're going to look back at your life and you're going to say, I would have chosen this. You're going to have joy. You're going to have the best friend you've ever had as a wife. You're going to grow together. And, and you know, people always say they want to grow old together. And then you get a little older and you're like, well, I don't really want to grow old. <laughs> just kind of want to stay together. Um, but. I think what I would say is, you know what? God's got a destiny for you that's amazing. You're gonna raise boys that you're going to be proud of. You're gonna raise better men than you are. And I can say right now, my sons are better men than I am because they had the balance of their mother. They have her love for Jesus in their hearts so deep, my sarcastic sense of humor, and they're outgoing, they're wonderful young men. I wanted to raise people that other people would enjoy. And we've done it together. And I would say, you're going to have a successful life because there's gonna be a day where you're gonna be sitting in a driveway with a little boy on your lap and everything you say to him is gonna be funny. And you're gonna post it on Instagram and people are going to watch it and say, that is the cutest grandchild I've ever seen. That's what I would have said to me because it's all worth it. And I was willing to give it all away because the devil was trying to kill me. He was scared. And now I'm up here with a microphone and one person in here heard this 
and it's going to change the trajectory of his or her life, hopefully more than one. But one of you in here needed to hear this tonight, and God gave me the ability because I lived, because I lived, and I lived well. That's what I would say to him, that punk with a mullet. And by the way, she will marry you. She won't go back to that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, would you guys give a round of applause for Justin? Keep that on. Keep that on. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to pray in just a second, but I want to finish this whole relationship series this way since this has been about vision and, and believing for something more for this generation to shatter statistics of marriage and, and leave the old behind and step into the more that God has for us, making a decision, understanding that we have the deliverance for it, stepping into the dream that we see. And um, I, I just feel like there's so many things in our past and, and maybe generational sin that you feel like is in your blood or is at least oppressing you. And, um, and I'll be the first to stand, and I know Justin will too, but I just wanna, I wanna ask you right now, if you tonight just kinda wanna make a declaration that I'm gonna decide to do it different, I'm gonna receive the deliverance, my disposition is gonna change and I'm ready to see a new vision and a new dream for my marriage, for my family one day, and leave Leave the old behind and do it different. If you just want to stand up right now, just stand up. And if it's not you, then on behalf of a future spouse, on behalf of a friend, I want to stand up just as an act that we're stepping away from the old repentance. And that's not just a one-time thing. That's a daily thing. But tonight we can collectively do that. There is power in this. And Justin, I was wondering if you would just pray a prayer of, of freedom and chains breaking when it comes to any kind of external oppression that the devil is bringing down on this group because this is a dangerous group to the devil. I promise you that. And, 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 if, yeah, and if you're feeling oppression, I'm not surprised. And that is a good, that's a sign that you are probably doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So take it as a compliment. And so with all of us standing, man, would you pray a prayer of freedom and chains being broken over this group? Lord Jesus, I just pray that you will, anything that was said tonight that wasn't of you will be void, and anything that the Holy Spirit has inspired, it will now grow in the hearts of the people in this room. This is a spectacular gathering of people, and this is a dangerous gathering of people because we are all here because of you, because of Jesus Christ. When the new covenant came, you broke the generational curses. You put away the things of old. You gave us the freedom with the blood, and you were nailed to a tree and became the curse for us, and that's no small thing. So I just pray right now, Jesus, in your name, your powerful name, that you will penetrate the hearts in this room, and anything that's a generational curse, anything that needs to be broken, that you will illuminate that to each person in this room. You will make them chew on that, make them deal with it, and make them heal that you will bring your healing through your blood in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. I pray tonight each and every one of you will examine your own hearts, your own lives, and you will believe that the generational sins and curses from your families are no longer. They are not in your blood. Jesus Christ and his grace flows through your veins. 
And to our enemy, I invite you out. Stop tormenting. In the name of Jesus, your demons flee. You flee. So we pray right now in the name of Jesus that the demons will flee, that the devil will flee, and that you will gain purchase in these lives. Every single life in here is here for a reason. Everyone here tonight was here to hear your word. So in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray healing on every person in this room. Be healed, receive, and let go of those chains. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's worship.